0: This is episode 169 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Sarah Boozer. She completed her undergraduate degree in communication disorders and sciences at the State University of New York at Geneseo, and her graduate degree in speech-language pathology at the University of Pittsburgh in 2014. Following graduation, Sarah pursued her passion of working with adults in a medical setting at Health South Rehabilitation Hospital of Spring Hill, Florida, now in Compass Health. During her time at Encompass, Sarah earned three ASHA ACE awards and became a certified brain injury specialist. Additionally, Sarah has worked as an independent contractor to create patient education materials related to neurogenic cognitive communication disorders for MedBridge education since 2017. Sarah is currently employed by Brooks Rehabilitation, working with adults in acute care at Regional Medical Center at Bayonet Point, an outpatient at Brooks Rehabilitation in Hudson, Florida. (laughs) Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely.
1: Hello, Sarah.
0: Hi. Thank you for joining me. Thank
1: you so much for having me. Yes. All right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. So, my name is Sarah Boozer, and I have been a speech pathologist for coming up on seven years now. Hard to believe, but um, I really have always been um, passionate about working with adults, and I've really um, come to enjoy dysphagia as part of my practice. Um, I worked in acute rehab for many years and recently started in acute care and outpatient. So I'm getting to expand my skill set to both ends of the spectrum in that way. Awesome. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? So we are going to talk about shared decision-making in dysphagia management and how we can promote patient autonomy and working to find a treatment plan together. Beautiful. I love it. All right.
0: How did this all start, I guess? How did this become like a passion topic for you, I guess? I
1: think for me, I have a background in mental health advocacy. And so counseling has always been something that has been really important to me. And um, when I was a graduate student at University of Pittsburgh, it was a really big focus in the program. Um, We did a lot of practice sessions and recorded ourselves as scary as that was (laughs) counseling and interviewing people so it's something that's always been at the top of my mind and i found this kind of specific model that i thought was really great um, just that's used by the medical community in general that i thought could be beneficial for people who are working to incorporate more counseling techniques and maybe didn't have as much of that experience to just kind of simplify it and make it easy to incorporate into your practice.
0: Yeah,
1: awesome, I love it. I love everything about this.
0: All right, so where should we start?
1: So let's start with what shared decision-making is kind of all about. I love this quote from uh, one of the perspective articles that I found that really kind of summed it up. Um, It's an approach where clinicians and patients share the best available evidence when faced with the task of making decisions and where patients are supported to consider options to achieve informed preferences. Beautiful. So, I think it's really bringing together all of the, you know, tenets of evidence-based practice. that. You know, we're looking at the research, we're looking at what the patient wants, we're looking at our clinical judgment and, you know, our experience and bringing all of those together and really working with the patient to make them as involved as we can. Obviously there's limitations to that, but I think, if we keep that at the top of our mind, no matter what their cognitive status is or what their circumstances are, then that's gonna help us to really help them and to achieve optimal outcomes. So I think that where we can start as SLPs with this process is, to present to our patients a risk benefit analysis. Um, I think we're often doing that in our head. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that keeps us up at night sometimes. But talking that through with the patient can really be beneficial to them so that they understand here's why I'm recommending this, here are the potential outcomes if we go this way here are the potential outcomes if we go that way in you know specific with dysphagia a lot of times it's do we want to do thickened liquids do we want to do a free water protocol do we want to be more strict here are your risk factors for aspiration pneumonia here are things that are making me as a professional lean more towards this aspect or this decision but I want you to be aware of all those potential outcomes. And knowing that there are potential negative outcomes regardless of which way we go, I think is really important. Sometimes we feel that, well, it's safer if we do it this way, but there is no perfect option. There is no 100% safe way to go, but I think that's why this model is so important to think about what is this patient value? And remember that those values can really be different from ours. You know, as a profession, we are primarily female, primarily Caucasian, and, you know, we have our own biases just based on, you know, our family culture, our educational background that are gonna influence what we value. And I think for me, having that mental health background and having dealt with mental health issues, that really has always kept the idea of the importance of making sure people kind of know their options at the top of my head. And that understanding what's going on can really help People to feel less anxious and know that we're there for them. Yeah.
0: I think what you said is so important. I think for even any younger clinicians or grad students listening, like, I think what's gone horribly wrong is that we think we are the experts, which, yes, in theory. However, it, what, what we think might be best is not always what the patient thinks is best. And, and like you said, we all have our own biases that we need to sort of check at the door. Um, and I think, I think my career got so much better once I understood that that weight didn't just fall on my shoulders. I didn't have to make this decision for this patient and hope and pray that I made the right one for them. You know, I think for some reason I was like brainwashed to think that like I had to do all these calculations and decide which was going to be the best thing for them, you know? And then I think once we realized that, no, it's it's you just present all these options and you let the patient and family decide, it just felt like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders that I didn't have to bear that. Um, but it also, I think, just became so much more powerful Two, to be able to educate them and empower them to make the best decision for their situation.
1: Definitely. And I think that sometimes as we're, you know, going through the treatment process, we can see that patients may change their mind. And as they kind of realize what something really looks like, that that's okay. You know at the outset one option may sound good but then as they if they decide to do thickened liquids and then once they're realizing what that looks like all day they may feel differently and that's okay and that we continue to reinforce their ability to make choices and also reinforce that education of this is what the risks and benefits are going this way. This is what the risks and benefits are going the other way. And I think too, for treatment, um, I found that when patients understand why they're doing something that, okay, I did your swallow study and I saw that you had decreased tongue base retraction. So this is the exercise that I'm recommending. This is what tongue-based retraction is. Here's how this is going to help like, oh, it's not so abstract because a lot of what we do is in an area that we can't see and nobody, you know, it's like a black hole in there. So I think sometimes the medical community underestimates patients' ability to understand what we do. It's our job to make it understandable and to help patients, no matter their level of education, their background, to at least get the basic concept of what we're doing. And that's really gonna help them in the long run to actively engage and therefore make the gains that we wanna see to get that outcome of a safer swallow or a better quality of life or whatever the case may be. Yep, I love it. See, <laughs> so, where do you wanna go next, Sarah? I think that, one thing that's important for us as SLPs, not only when we're starting out, but also as we're growing and changing settings and, you know, developing our style is to make time to assess our values and better understand our biases. Cause those can change as we get older, as our family situation changes, you know, I know, for those who are moms, that definitely can change your outlook on life, changes with your family, having a family member go through um, a health issue, especially with this pandemic. I think that's given a lot of people um, a lot of opportunities to really look at what do I value and how does that influence what I'm doing? So I think taking the time to think about that to think about some of those kind of hot button topics that can really trigger bias. And, you know, mental health is one that, you know, can be challenging for sure, you know, to jump to that thought of, well, maybe this is in their head. Maybe this is, you know, a conversion thing. Those things are out there. They do exist. My mom actually, Um, had panic attacks. And at one point thought she was choking and called 911. And it was like a conversion reaction. So those functional disorders do exist, but making sure that we do everything we can to differentially diagnose and not jump to that conclusion. Things like obesity can be very challenging, you know, for some clinicians, because it's, Something that, again, maybe doesn't align with our values, you know, that are thought of health and wellness and those kind of things. But looking into those kind of issues, what, you know, what are common predisposing factors for people who are obese? Um, how does mental health play into that? And what is the role of dysphagia in people who are obese? There are so many um What's the word I'm looking for? Just co-occurring conditions that can increase the risk of dysphagia. So knowing that and not saying, oh, well, they're just obese, you know, it, it, it can be so challenging because those populations can be very difficult to tease out. But I think being willing to say this might be something that's tough for me when I see this diagnosis, when I encounter this type of patient and talking it out with another SLP, being vulnerable and allowing ourselves to say, I don't like how I think when I encounter this, how can I take a step back and understand this better and have a different approach so that I can give my best and you know, make sure that I'm giving the full assessment and full treatment option to every patient. Because of course, as SLPs, like that is what we do. Like at our core, we are healers. We are people that want what's best for others. And that's difficult, I think, for us to accept that sometimes we have negative reactions to certain yeah. conditions. Yeah.
0: I I love what you said about just talking it out. And I think from a, from an opposite perspective, you know, I have a son with special needs and we constantly have to go see different doctors and different specialists and things. And I, I always find it so fascinating when they do talk through what's kind of going through their head, because so many times I'll catch things like, no, that's not right. Or like, that's not how I would like what I would want. And so it's, to me, I like it because it really just, I I think it's a way to get everybody on the same page. Like we just went to go see a new um, PT for my son. He was getting new, you know, orthotics for his, for his AFOs. And the the PT was like, well, I'd like to do this because it would, you know, basically he was explaining the whole process. And I was like, well, no, I don't want him to do that. And he was like, well, you don't. And I was like, no, because then it sets These other, you know, things off. And so just by having this whole kind of think out loud dialogue, it really it was, I think, like the perfect marriage of, like you said, shared decision making, because we were able to see both sides of why we both thought what we did.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. And that's sometimes people have such a different perspective that you may not have even considered yeah and i don't think if i had heard his thought process i would have been like oh my god why like no <laughs> i'm not doing you know <laughs> right. i think one thing that's so that's such a great example you're giving me goosebumps um, but i think an, another example that comes to mind is driving for a long distance to get to a clinic for some people, that's like, I, you know, if it's more than 20 minutes away, they're not interested. And if you grew up in that kind of family culture, um, where far away is more than 20 minutes, then that may be like, oh, well, they're not gonna wanna go there and not even really present that option. Whereas to some people, I know for me, like my family, was all over the country. So we would drive 45 minutes to go to a restaurant, no big deal on a Saturday. So to us, like to go to a specialty clinic for my allergies and asthma as a kid that was an hour away was something that we did once a month. So I think, like you said, not Making assumptions and just saying, okay, like let's lay it all out and talk it through. And you know, maybe you want to do that, maybe you don't, but at least you know you could. Yep, yep. I, I do love that example so much. It's something I have with
0: SLPs constantly. You know, yeah. they're like, oh well, they wouldn't want to drive that far. Or right. They wouldn't want to come see me here. And it's like, are you out of your mind? You know, like. <laughs> anyway, so that'll get me on a whole nother rant, Sarah. But I know. Right? <laughs> but yes. <laughs> All right. And I think, oh, so it's such a good point you bring up here. So explaining why you're doing things will make treatment more salient and encourage neuroplasticity. Yeah. So I guess talk about that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, sure. So understanding what a treatment is designed for and what it's targeting, why we're trying to do something is going to help us frame our thinking if you think about if you've ever been given an assignment, if you understand why you're doing it and what it's for, it's going to be much easier for you to be motivated to get it done if it's a goal that you see as important. So for the patient, if they're aspirating and, you know, they understand that, There are potential negative outcomes for that, but if I do this exercise, it's going to reduce my risk and going to help me long-term, then I think for those patients who can come to that level of awareness, that can really help to encourage that neuroplasticity to get them to where they want to go faster because they understand they're, you know, they're not checked out. They're not giving it, you know, kind of the, Oh yeah. Okay. She wants me to stick my tongue out and do this, that, and the other, you know, I don't really know what this is about. You know, why would you if you don't really get what the purpose is? I mean, some people maybe are overachievers at everything, but (laughs) when, for them all they care about maybe is walking and they don't really understand well why on earth do i need to do this this doesn't make sense to me then they're not going to give that full effort and they're not going to give that attention to it that is really required to get the brain to make changes to really make the outcomes that we want possible yeah beautiful i love this sarah Do you want to get into my case study? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. All right. So I have this case study um, to talk a little bit more about shared decision-making with dysphagia. Um, I had a 77-year-old male who had a history of bulbar polio when he was a child. He had residual deficits from that, which included a paralyzed vocal cord, dysphonia, and chronic cough. He had recently had a somewhat invasive dental procedure um, that involved teeth scaling and root planing. So they were going under the gum line to remove plaque. And not too long after that, he developed bilateral pneumonia and required um, mechanical ventilation. He was on the ventilator for four days And once he was extubated, he had some encephalopathy. He was very confused, combative, agitated, and then also had dysphagia um, upon being screened by the nurse. So the SLP was consulted and did a video fluoroscopic swallow study and found that the patient was aspirating all consistencies. So she recommended nothing by mouth. The patient was then transferred uh, while he was given a a feeding tube, a PEG tube, and then was transferred to inpatient rehabilitation facility, which is where I came in. And at that time, it was about a week after he had had the initial swallow study. So when I did my initial evaluation, cognition was fully functional, So that was no longer an issue, not impacting anything. But swallowing, he still had overt signs and symptoms at the bedside. So I said, it's been a week. Let's do a follow-up MBS and see where things are at. So he was still aspirating on thin liquids and had deep penetration with nectar thick, um, as well as honey thick liquids, had a... Pretty significant amount of residue, reduced tongue base retraction, uh, very minimal pharyngeal stripping wave and impaired laryngeal vestibule closure as well as sensation had very minimal response during the swallow study to the aspiration until much later. So he had a very delayed cough so his wife and son were very involved um at that time visitors were allowed to come in so we discussed the findings from the swallow study with the whole family talked about how it was likely that that vocal cord paralysis chronic cough they said oh yeah he chokes you know before this happened it happens, no big deal, whatever. Um, so that in the face of this pneumonia, deconditioning on the ventilator, likely exacerbated that underlying issue that he had. And that of course, we I recommended that we do therapy in order to get him back to his baseline where he was able to manage. Um, because of that, bilateral pneumonia being on the ventilator which he had never had previously he and the family were both very concerned about the aspiration so we decided that we would continue mpo at that time in order to work on treatment and do very aggressive oral care and then follow up with another swallow study once we had some time to do treatment, because I said we could do a you know conservative thick and liquid you know puree, but they felt more comfortable to go a more conservative route. So then, when we were determining treatment options, um, we trialed the chin tuck against resistance, and we trialed the SEMG biofeedback using synchrony and the patient and the family were really excited about Synchrony. It has a virtual reality component Um, so it's really giving the patient a lot of visuals to increase the attention and also show them how much muscle activation they are producing with each swallow. So it helps to give that feedback as when you say swallow hard, how hard are they actually swallowing? Because again, that's very abstract. So it, it helps to make it more concrete. So everybody was really excited about this. And, you know, I think the food during therapy was a great motivator as well. So we decided let's really focus our treatment on doing effortful swallows with the synchrony SEMG biofeedback. So we went forward doing that on a daily basis. And we did anywhere from 65 to 95 or so reps of Effortful Swallows each session using a variety of consistencies. And it was so great. The patient's son and spouse would be cheering them on. Come on, you can Do it, swallow harder, you know? Um, So it really got everyone involved and excited about the treatment. And within two weeks, we did a follow-up swallow study and we were able to eliminate aspiration and the patient started on an oral diet. So we did ground solids and thin liquids to begin with. Again, they, wanted to be more conservative with the solids because of, I think, the anxiety related to, you know, everything that had happened with being intubated. You know, they were told he may never swallow again. He may need this feeding tube for life. So that was definitely something that played into how they wanted to move forward. And, you know, I wanted to give them all the choices and understanding of, yes, this swallow study is showing that he's doing great, we've made so much improvement, but absolutely, there's going to be times that he's more fatigued, where perhaps that swallow isn't functioning as optimally. Um, So it's okay to be more conservative to start and we'll work toward continuing to increase the textures and consistencies In therapy, so that you feel more comfortable to advance in that way. So it was really exciting, especially for such a short period of time. And I think also in inpatient rehab, a lot of times we see patients who are going through that spontaneous recovery period um, with stroke or brain injury. Whereas this patient, you know, was just purely coming off the ventilator from a you know a few days. So. There wasn't that factor playing into it, so it was definitely exciting to see the changes and to be able to compare that initial swallow study to the follow-up and see, especially his tongue-based retraction was so much better, his laryngeal vestibule closure complete um, he still had very minimal pharyngeal stripping wave activity, which I think may have been related to the bulbar polio, that the nerve injury must have contributed to that. But, you know, he was able to compensate with this great tongue base retraction to really reduce the residue in the pharynx and prevent aspiration. So it wasn't perfect, but it was functional. And that's really what you know is the most important and he went on with home health care and continued on his oral diet awesome
0: beautiful thank you for sharing that sarah yeah absolutely love that That that's a beautiful example
1: all right um is there anything else you want to add any final thoughts i just think that we have such an awesome community of slps and i know that you know we all want to get the best outcomes for our patients and to help them help themselves. So I think if we just continue to keep that in mind, but also allow ourselves to have the flexibility and the grace to accept that not everyone thinks the same way that we do, and that's okay and we can find a common ground to come up with goals and treatment that makes sense for everyone involved, that we're all going to come out in a better place in the end and you're going to have better patient satisfaction, you're going to feel better about what you're doing because you're on the same page and you'll spend less time kind of arguing that I know what I'm doing, just do what I'm telling you. Yep, yep. It's going to improve your practice. And I know that we can do it as a field and we're continuing to grow. And I think that it's awesome. Yep. I I, I love what you said in that we're just, we just want to help
0: patients. And I think people forget that sometimes just by presenting them all the options and telling them what we know can be helpful. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to, you know, of course, yes, we want to cure everybody's swallowing problem, but sometimes it's not that simple. A lot of times it's not that simple. Um, And we are helping them just by presenting all of the options and really just showing that we're on their team. You know, I think, unfortunately, so much of medicine is an ego trip and a power pull and, you know, do this, do that. This is what's best for you. This is not what's best for you. And it's not, that's not our call to make. I agree. Yeah. I I love all this so much, Sarah. And thank you so much
1: for presenting this. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course.
0: Thanks, Sarah. download the
1: show notes from this
0: episode please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com there you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode if you like what you hear then please subscribe leave a review on itunes and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming if you'd like to be a guest share feedback or request a topic to be discussed on the show please email podcast at teresarichard.com Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.